Jeff, welcome to our post-game episode. If I had to describe that game, I would say it was big Dax energy. There was a lot of Dax energy. Dax Milne is playing well enough that I feel comfortable telling my son one day, hey, you were named after Dax Milne. I mean, he really wasn't. He was named Dax because you're, we you're a middle-aged white to. dude and middle-aged yeah. white. Yeah, we, we name weird names. That's I live in Utah, so that's what it is. But de- the way that Dax Milne is playing, I think my son can be proud of his name. I think he may have supplanted himself as wide receiver one tonight. Uh, he looked great. Do we get to pat ourselves on the back? I think we do. I I mean, you get to. I will do the padding for you because you were all aboard the Dax train. I thought like he was going to be good and going to be serviceable, but I did not think that he was going to come out and have a dominant game the way he did tonight. And, you know, it was really, I feel like this was a defining, a very defining game for the program just because it's like obviously in the second quarter, neither side of the, like neither position group was, or unit was offense or defense was playing well. And I mean, the offense played okay, um, but they just didn't get a chance to like be on the field because the defense was not playing well. But then they put it together and just came out and absolutely jumped all over everything in the second half. And Zach Wilson was perfect in the third quarter. And it was like, they really responded. And even, you know, I was really nervous and was like, okay, we're giving them the ball back with three, four minutes and it's 29, 26, whatever. And then it's like, nope, we're going to score two touchdowns and just, we're going to put this away. And people who went to bed are going to wake up in the morning and think, oh, BYU won 43, 26. Good big win for them. On to the next one. That's exactly what it's going to be, and especially a Friday night game. Saturday is going to happen, and who knows what the craziness of Saturday is going to do, right? Right. It's pushing midnight for you, so it's like East Coast people. Did they? I mean, are they stay hard stay up? But most of them not. So they're going to look at the box score. They're going to see that Zach Wilson threw for four touchdowns, four hundred yards. And BYU won by 17 in a game that they were only favored by four. That's the that's the kind of overperformance, right? Like at the end of the, we're going to talk about the ups and downs throughout the game because they were there. But football is played for 60 minutes, so first we're going to judge the whole, not the individual pieces. And at the end of the whole, BYU won this game by 17 points. The line closed in Vegas at three and a half before kickoff. That means they over overperformed by 14 points. That's the same kind of performance that that's that's a blowout according to you know most Las Vegas people. Right. If you beat the spread by two touchdowns, you blew out your opponent. Right. And that's and exactly what BYU did. And it, you know people will you know and a lot of it's like oh because it was late and it's like I I think it's pretty indicative because even if you say like oh well that last score that Algier tacked on right like it's okay well if you look at expected points when we're down on the one yard line, we should have seven there. So you're trading there and it's more or less like, you know, that's, I think that that was very indicative score of the game and it was a good performance. And it's, I remember like halfway through the fourth quarter, looking at the box score where it was at. And I was like, man, how bad I feel like our defense was playing up until that point. It's like, how much worse are these Houston fans feeling? Because Zach Wilson is playing better than Clayton Toon. Yeah, Zach Wilson, man. Like, let's start there. He was unbelievable. Like, we're we're starting to just expect this from him, and I I feel I almost feel guilty because it sort of feels like 
I'm taking these performances for granted because you expect it. Like at this point, we're five games into the season now. And I think that Zach is going to do something like this almost every single week. And he just, he continues to do that. And so he, I, I, we can't overstate how brilliant he was. 25 of 35 tonight, 400 yards, four touchdowns. I think two or three of his incompletions were throwaways on those screens that, yeah, they're incompletions on the box score, but they were fantastic plays that he does not make a year ago, right. that he recognizes pressure, escapes it enough, has the wherewithal to know where his receiver is going to be, and then has the ability to, while he's under pressure, simultaneously look and see, uh, if I throw this ball to my receiver, nothing's going to happen, and he throws it at the feet of the the screen guy. That's a simple play. It's you know almost innocuous when it happens because we see it in the NFL from guys like Rodgers or Mahomes, and you just think that that's normal. That's not a play that most quarterbacks make. Like That's a tough play, and it takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of ability to escape that pressure. Like Even Zach's incompletions are fundamentally sound right now. Like he is doing everything well. And, and that's we can't why say apparently enough. he's better than Justin Fields, according to Andre Ware. Dude, it's, that was that was some praise. Yeah, that, I was shocked. I figured, you know, bump Trey Lance down a little bit, you know, swap him there or ah. put him maybe ahead of Kyle Trask. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't, I think Kyle Trask is fine, but I don't think he had, like, he doesn't have the arm, like, all the physical tools. You know, like he'll be okay, but he's never going to be great. But it's, you know, I when he went, nope, we're moving him all the way up from five to two ahead of Justin Fields and putting Trask above Justin Fields. I was like, okay, Andre, slow down a little bit. That was a little weird. I, I have to admit, and this is probably going to make me sound dumb. Didn't, okay, first, did Andre Ware win the Heisman? Yes, he did. Okay. So he won the Heisman. I should know, like, I'm a big college football fan. I know the name Andre Ware. I was 100% certain until they flashed a picture of him playing quarterback that Andre Ware was a wide receiver. 100% sure. There was no doubt in my mind. In fact, I think I even had visions of seeing plays that Andre Ware was a wide receiver. I have no earthly idea who I was actually thinking about, but I was convinced that he was going to be a wide receiver. Uh, maybe there's probably another wide receiver named Andre Ware somewhere. Maybe. And maybe I got like Andre Risen confused, which seems kind of dumb to do, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know where it happened, but it happened. You know, that's, I mean, Andre Ware, his Heisman year was like, he was probably, he was dealing back then, but uh, yeah, it's his career pittered out. Like he went one number one overall to the lions. And then I know he had a couple cups of coffee up in the CFL, but he went number one overall. Apparently, I don't know Andre Ware. Like, I think I know I mean, Andre Ware. It was Ware. like the year we were born. So it's not. That's true. It's really a reach. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this, um, yeah, I got a, I got a question. I got a question for you. Okay. And really, it's more of a request from you. Okay. Uh, I don't know how quick you can, you know, do some of that data stuff that you do. Can you tell me when the last time a BYU quarterback threw for 400 yards was? Um, I'm going to guess Christian Stewart did it sometime in That's 2014, my guess, but I don't remember him doing it. Um, like, I think the last 400 yard performance was, yeah, it was, was Max, Max Hall. 
No. It doesn't seem like it should be. No. Oh, okay, yeah. It was Christian Stewart, Stewart got a couple. Nevada and Cal. It's Nevada and Cal. Yeah, so the last 400-yard performance was November 29th, 2014. Okay. He was through for 433. And they lost 12 because of sacks. So he accounted for 421. Zach accounted for 440 and four touchdowns today. Yeah. So that is a very. Now, riddle me this. When was the last time a single receiver went for 180? What did Dax finish with? 184 yards. It's got to be Cody Hoffman. I can, I'm going to guess that it I can't was, think of anybody else other than Hoffman, right? No, it was going to be Hoffman, and it was – what did he finish with that day? So the New Mexico State game, and the which was the one was James Lark's first career start. Hoffman had 12 catches for 182 yards and five touchdowns. So that's the that's the type of game that Dax Mill had tonight. What a, what a performance. Um and for the way that this offense played, especially that that third quarter was the weirdest third quarter in the world. Those reviews that lasted like the length of a sitcom, uh, that was insanity. And for the, the offense to stay focused enough to sit on the sideline, twiddle their thumbs for like 33 minutes of clock time, and then come out and go and score in a minute and a half of game time. That was impressive. And then the, 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 I almost, I almost just threw out like we were just talking man to man here. Uh, I, I almost started talking about the testicular fortitude of Kalani Satake, and I, I almost the, used the, the big Dax energy. Yeah, <laughs> I almost started talking about that as if we weren't recording a podcast. And I, I thought, I thought to myself, if I say this. I'm going to alienate some of our listeners. Maybe not all. I know that we have some women, and maybe you're not offended by this. I know that we have some men who might be offended by my uh, choice of words there. So we're going to call it testicular fortitude. The testicular fortitude of Kalani Sataki to call an onside kick after that touchdown. But the bizarre thing about that is, so I noticed on the replay, like I st- stood up and I I missed the onside kick when it happened because I was grabbing something out of the kitchen. But when I came back and watched the replay, I was like, oh, well, they recognize it because instead of being 10 yards off the ball, they were like a full 15 yards off. And then the next time we kicked off, they did the same thing again. Like, Because who would have done it twice? I wish they would have just for the hell of it. I think it would have been cool. Right. So I don't – yeah, that was – I mean, that was really the turning point in the game where the defense up until – Really, I mean, even the first quarter, it felt like, hey, it's 14 to three, but we were lucky to only have given up three because there were a couple penalties. But the entire first half, in a good chunk of the third quarter, like the defense was just on roller skates and they were really struggling. And it was like, okay, this is everything we thought. Like we were trying to say, we hope it's not this and whatever, like we're getting exposed or not doing anything. And it was just like, it was just flat. Like guys were not out of position. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, there wasn't a ton of pressure on tune, but we already knew like we were going to have to be very choosy just because of the receivers that Houston had that we couldn't send the crowd um, 
which that was something you and I talked about today before the game and actually went through and looked up and we have heading into tonight despite everyone saying like we only rush three we always drop eight whatever it's BYU averages 4.3 rushers per pass attempt by opposing defenses this year I I Um, love that you pulled that stat that's so it's which I mean obviously that's not the end all be all because a lot of it is situational and it's there's a difference between just straight rushing four versus doing like a stunt or a twist and like getting creative with oh yeah that. Like there's there's a ton of variation right but and that's i think where it's still very vanilla of just like square up with your guy where it's like a bull rush every single play it feels like and it's you know there's still issues there but um that there's definitely still issues with the pass rush that need to be addressed but you know it like guys were in positions to make plays, but just like, where are you? And a lot of it too, is even from the guys that you'd expect to perform, like, especially like in the first half, Zane Anderson and Isaiah Kafusi got abused. And actually like the whole season, Zane Anderson has been the lowest graded, like has been the lowest graded starter in coverage. And it's like, and it really isn't close. And you expect more of a guy who this is, you know, a multi-year starter as a senior. Like I, in they, I remember specifically, one touchdown I may have been the first or second touchdown that Houston scored where it was like the receiver who caught the ball and one yard to his right was Isaiah Kafusi and one yard to his left was Keenan Ellis and the receivers just like standing there in between them and they're like looking at each other like oh huh, maybe we should like try to make a play on the ball it's just kind of like <laughs> that guys were in the right spots but is like their body was there, but their head wasn't or something. They were just like sleepwalking. But yeah, that onside kick really, I mean, it. I never felt like the offense was going to be out of it. Like it's the offense is good enough now and has clicked enough and Zach is playing so well that it's like, dude, you want to do a shootout? We can do a shootout. Like, you know, unless we try to overthink things and, and you know, do exactly what Andre Ware was dead on when he was saying like, why are you, bunching up into this formation and bringing all of those bodies into one space. It's not working for you tonight. Like do something different. And the last time we did it was the one where that should have been the payoff. Like that was the one where you could have like faked it to wake and then pitched it out to Algier and let him race to the edge while everybody is inside and he can get it. He's fast enough to get around that corner. And it was like, okay, I understand you, you know, you do run things to set him up to pay it off later in the game, but we never went for that payoff but I'm not going to complain. We scored 43 points, but they, um, (laughs) but it's like the offensive line struggled running the ball, but their passing lanes were wide open and we were hitting them all night. So it never felt like, okay, if we need to do a, get in a shootout, we need to get in a shootout. It's just a matter of almost like if we're going to get into a shootout, the defense needs to let them score quicker. So the offense can stay in a rhythm because we can't give up a nine minute drive. Like that was, that was the bigger worry to me was we need time. When I when I when that drive was happening, I thought Utah 2019 that it was that just killer drive that any I mean, the game was obviously different like this game. You're right. I had hope that BYU, if they could just get the ball, they were going to be able to score. I I was very confident in that. And so it was a different feel because in Utah, Utah 2019, when they went on their like 12 minute murder drive it was just like, oh, this is it. They're just going to wrap their boa constrictor body around our BYU necks and just suffocate us forever. But it felt really similar that that's like, wow, how is this Dana Holgerson high tempo, big play, chunk play offense? How are they going to just continue to milk the clock? But 
yes, the onside kick really changed the momentum of the game. I think it created some life on the BYU sideline. Trick plays do that. Uh, and BYU had a handful of trick plays tonight. And so I think that that, that got the players into it. They were feeling good. Um, and that, people, was a, that was a people deal. call that a gimmick, but I mean, I don't see a trick play as a gimmick. Like it's, it's football. You need to get your edge wherever you can. And if that means you have to do some different plays or go for it on fourth down more than other teams would, then like, that's fine. You have to find right. your edge and capitalize well, and on it. Like it, if you do it once, then okay, fine. Call it a gimmick. BYU does it. It doesn't matter if BYU is playing UTSA or if they are playing Alabama, they are going to try those trick plays. That's just who they are. Well, and it, people understand too, if you know too, especially like if it's okay, you do it once, it's a gimmick, like unheard of, but it's one you're accustomed to seeing two or three a game. It's almost become, it's predictably unpredictable to where they know we have to like, that's all you have to do it. Like we're doing it enough that it's always in the back of their mind, right? Like you hear announcers talking about it, you know, their defensive coordinators are doing it. And it, to some extent, it probably helps open things up a little bit across the board for other things, because, you know, the other coaches like they're especially where we have struggled kind of in the red zone. It's like, it probably, it opens things up a lot more in that, like kind of between the forties area, which is where we, do really really well on offense because that's in the back of the coordinator's mind because this is the spot on the field where you go for a trick play the problem like and then they it's enough pressure there to kind of keep that concern at the front of their mind and but i I mean there were a lot of things that obviously need to get fixed going through the pff grades on the defense um will be really interesting but i think you know the there were a lot of things that stuck out. Obviously, we talked about Zach Milne. I was really impressed with uh, our punting game. Like Ryan Riquel, he was booming him. And he's a stud. Like he he's played. a stud. He he had that one that I can't remember even the result of the punt, but the fact that he was able to catch it and get a punt off after bobbling it was fantastic. I want to stop talking about BYU for a minute because of what I just saw on Twitter, thanks to Chaz Ayu. Have you seen this yet? Uh, no. Chaz Ayu, we're going to talk about Keith Corbin, wide receiver at Houston, number two. This is after the last pass breakup by Keenan Ellis. It's not even Keith Corbin who the ball was intended for or who Keenan Ellis was guarding. Keenan Ellis is celebrating with Peyton Wilgar, George Udo, and uh, Zane Anderson towards the sideline. They're pumped up. The pass breakup is what literally just ended the game. As Keenan Ellis is just innocently, the celebration's over. He's just innocently walking his way over towards the BYU sideline. And one Keith Corbin spits in his face. I think Keenan Ellis had a visor on. Well, that's fine. But he spit in his face. This is, this is the equivalent of... The Seinfeld episode where Keith Hernandez spits on Newman and Kramer. It is. Except for we know. We know that there wasn't a second spitter in this scenario. So we don't have to wonder how Newman's head or Kramer's head went back and to the left. We can see it right here on video that Keith Corbin was the one and only spitter. But it is 2020. Like we're social distancing. Houston that hasn't had 
any football games. This is their second game of the year because of COVID. Like people are dying everywhere. There's a, millions of cases, and we're choosing to spit. I don't know what's going on in Keith Corbin's head, but he just made my list. I have uh, a list. Let me let me tell you about my list. Who's on I your, actually? Who's on? I'll your tell list. you. Jonathan Bender. Does that name ring a bell? Nope. Jonathan Bender was an offensive lineman at Nevada. And Jonathan Bender, I'm I you might have been on your mission, so you may not even remember this hit. But Jonathan Bender, Nevada is playing at BYU in like 2010. And there is a play. I don't even remember what happened. It was a swing pass or a run or whatever to the right side of the field. And the play is uh, the running back gets into, into space. And so he's out ahead of where the line of scrimmage was, where the linemen are. Romney Fuga is just kind of jogging. Like he is 20 yards away from the play. He's not even close. And Jonathan Bender goes and dives into the back of Romney Fuga's knees. And this is personal because Romney's your guy because you serve together. I love Romney. He is my guy. But even if I didn't know them, this this is personal because I am a fan and I care. And I have a big heart, despite what people on Twitter want to tell me. And Jonathan Bender dives into the back of Fuga's knees. Fuga tears his ACL, is out for the year. This play was 25 yards away from him. It was the most unnecessary hit in the world. And I I rarely delete a tweet. But 10 years later, I had to go and delete a tweet. Jonathan Bender was the recipient of my very first tweet. I tweeted at him that I hoped he tore both of his ACLs and that his wife would tear her future ACLs and that every kid he ever had was born with torn ACLs. That was the tweet that I had at Jonathan Bender. I deleted it because I felt bad and, you know, it's – we're in today's society where you can't tweet anything wrong 10 years ago or you'll get fired from your job tomorrow. So I had to delete it because it was violent. It was a threat. It was, you know, whatever. I guess it wasn't a threat. I wasn't going to tear his ACLs, but it was, you know, violent in nature. That created my list. At that point, I'd never really hated a player just so violently, but Jonathan Bender made my list. And uh, I don't even remember his name. Something Because Corbin. that's how little. Yeah, Keith Corbin. That's how little he means to me. Keith Corbin means so little to me, except I wish nothing but ill will upon him. I don't want him to die. I don't want real ill will, but kind of, you know, I want what happened. What he did needs to happen to him. I hope he has, he is spat on everywhere he goes, not by everybody, but every time he goes to the grocery store, I hope one person spits on him. I, if you see him, you can spit on him. But I think the Somebody biggest thing, to. the biggest thing that I took away from this game, though, and we talked about this a bunch, is just the depth, right? Like we saw, Empey was maybe seventy percent, and then he had to leave the game early because he got rolled up on. Joe Tukawafu came in, but I mean, it's like Hodge didn't end up playing. Like Hodge didn't end up playing. Empey played half the game. Tonga didn't travel with the team. Gunnar Romney got hurt at the beginning of the second quarter, maybe. I don't remember when he left the game because it was very early on didn't have like obviously Lorenzo Fawatea went out 
then it's like guys stepped up. Gabe Summers has a sack. Caden Hawes is doing well against the run. Alden Tofo had the best game of his BYU career so far. Dax Milne did, you know, what we talked about with Dax Milne. It's like Isaac Rex finally kind of felt like he came into his own as a solid receiving target with a couple big catches. Like it was guys stepped up and made plays. And I'll be honest, when we were down 14 points and Micah Harper got tossed from the game and our defense was already getting scorched, I was very worried. And I was like, this is it. Like, it's going to be hard that to was, climb out of this one. That and was then, the worst targeting call I've ever seen. Not because of Micah, like maybe he did. And by the letter of the law, right? Like I'm sure that that was qualifies as targeting fine. But for the next like 10 seconds later, the dude literally headbutts headbutts Harper and nothing right. was called. If you're going to call Harper for a play that had no negative intent, but was technically a targeting penalty then how are you not calling the play or i guess how are you not calling targeting on the player who has nothing but intent i don't understand and i think i mean i don't i thought it was a bad targeting call because i didn't think harper led with his head like he got his head to the side he i felt like he hit with his head and his shoulder but i don't think he led with the crown of his helmet right like it was kind of incidental but yeah it was but a I don't know. It's the targeting thing is they need to change it and there needs to be some type of multi-tiered thing. Like, I don't know, but it's, it's bad. And I get what they're trying to do, but it's, nobody knows what's going on with it. Um, But the, I think the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest things though, and um, as I'm looking at the box score, we had a 20 yard advantage in average starting field position in our drives today, which that is huge. Like that, huge. especially in the second half, when Rico started booming punts, we obviously got the onside kick, which didn't end up doing anything. That was the other thing is like, we got the onside kick and it was like, okay, we can do it. And then we didn't get points out of that. Right. But it ended up, we, we didn't get points, but we were able to pin them deep. Right. Uh, and so after not getting, points. so it was like a 15 yard swing over a touchback, but it was like, it kind of felt like one of those things where it was like, prior years the wheels would have fallen off and have been like oh man we got the onside kick but we didn't score like mopey. well prior prior years under kalani we don't get that onside kick I yeah think that's the biggest difference just because of pure football gods were not blessing us yes um, the but, team must have been very diligent in their ministering assignments over zoom in the off season oh yeah now that it's over zoom everybody can do their ministering it, to, it was a it was a pain when you had to go like door to door. I mean, we were kind of. Know, do you follow Carson Crosby? Um, <laughs> um, I know who he is. I don't so, know if I do or not. So anyway, so he was one of my roommates when we were in school, and we used to we were home teaching companions or ministering. It was even before ministering. We were home teaching companions, and the one of the kids we were signed to home teach was also is also on the twitter.com And like the first of the month, we just had like a scheduled tweet. It's like we just tweeted oh, yeah. and tag would be like, "Hey, you good man?" And I'm like, "Yep, thanks." And that was that's it. That's we perfect. And now that ministering encourages that, yeah, maybe that's what it is. I don't know what it is. I have some stats. Okay. Without looking stats. at the box, maybe you already have looked at the box score. I don't know if you have or not. Hold it up. How many TFLs did BYU have? <laughs> Ten, and it does not feel like we had – well, a lot of those were running because Houston did not run the ball very well either. No, they really neither, didn't. Neither team ran the ball great. I mean – Ten. Great. Ten TFLs. 
I just want to, the, the stat is that there were 10 TFLs in a single game. And I want to take us back to 2019. 2019, BYU played 13 games. And they had, in, a th- in 13 games combined, 61 TFLs. They had 10 tonight. I don't care if it's running, uh, running plays or if those were sacks. I don't. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. They had they had a sixth of their total TFLs from a year ago against the best team on their schedule so far. That's. I'm also really proud of the way, and I don't think we we've talked about it enough. Those Houston receivers are for real. Like those are they got those some dudes. The, they are the best athletes that BYU is going to see all year long, without question. Yeah, I'm very confident of that. Like, there's nobody on San Diego State or Boise's roster that will come close to this. Not even close. Marquez Stevenson is an NFL guy, and he started the game. First play of the game was a 20 yard pass to Marquez Stevenson, and it was like, ugh, this is going to be the story of the game. Marquez Stevenson did not catch another pass. Like. BYU got killed by Christy Trahan on on a big tight end on a I guess that was a second quarter drive. Christy Trahan ended up with a touchdown pass or a touchdown catch. Uh, Keith Corbin had four catches. No other uh, I guess Nathaniel Dell he had three catches. No other receiver had more than two. Like BYU struggled, especially in that third quarter, second quarter, and really the first half of the third quarter, I guess. BYU struggled. There's no question. But they did such a good job of containing those receivers. Those receivers, if they get going, Houston runs away with this game. They really do, and especially, like, I mean, I was really frustrated, and they did adjust, and that's kind of been one of the big knocks against the staff is that they failed to make halftime adjustments, which I didn't really think the offense didn't need to. They just needed to actually get a chance to go on the field and score some points in the second half, which obviously they did. But the defense, you know, they <clears throat> wrapped up Christian Christy Trahan a bit more, and they did a great job kind of – I mean, they keyed on some guys, and they – I mean, they still got obviously beat, but it was kind of, kind of like weird to me. I know some of – Clayton Toon's rushes were most of them like they were scrambles, but it was Holgerson was very committed to trying to get Kyle Porter going, even though like it really wasn't working for it them. Like he there. had, a, I need to look to see. Oh, he has his long was sixteen. Like he had a couple chunk runs, but he ended up with twenty carries for ninety four yards. But I feel like yeah. it was kind of a cheap ninety four. Like he probably had sixteen carries for sixty yards, and then the last. Four covered the last the other 55 yards or whatever um or 40 yards uh, kind of thing and but it he was i mean they finished the game with 44 carries which and and some of those are going to be quarterback runs but right. yeah but it was still I, a ton and it was like i was surprised at how much they were trying kind of both teams trying to push the ball and run the ball but i think you know i think this just was a great game it was a great rebound game and i think the sluggishness a lot of it was like okay it's traveling on a road game you're showing up houston was you know they played last thursday so they got an extra they got a long week at home while you're on a short week and traveling you know kind of sluggish you're banged up we're down a ton of starters like not just a like you know multiple starters on 
the offensive and defensive lines struggling to run the ball, which is something we've done before, but still finding a way of where Zach Wilson just took over the game. Like it was, I felt like a very, like, you know, it was obviously the middle 30 minutes of this game was extremely stressful and not pretty, but the way they pulled it out was very promising to me looking down the stretch. So, and, and that's the big difference that between BYU this year and BYU in the years past is that they got to the fourth quarter. They were reeling like they were down 12 points, 26, 14. They're struggling. They haven't been on the field. That's the kind of team that in the, in the past, that team caves right? That team loses to Toledo. That team lets a game against, I don't know, whoever, San Diego State get away. That's It it felt a lot like the Hawaii game, that it's like, okay, defense, if you can just get us one or two stops, the offense can move the ball and score. But no, Hawaii wins, right? Like they, they can't adjust. They can't rotate quick enough. They can't whatever. And Hawaii pulls away. That's the difference. That's the difference this year is that this year, the defense made that adjustment the offense got the ball back and did what the offense is capable of doing. And they, they pulled out a, a convincing win. People are going to want to talk about the struggles because that's just what humans do. Humans are conditioned to talk about the negative, which whatever, I'm not going to tell you what to talk about, but I will tell you if I think you're wrong and the negative of this football team in this game, the downs were down, but that is football right? That is football. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year after playing down for two two out of the four quarters. They were playing pretty poorly. The Patriots came back and beat the Falcons after being down 28-3. to Like, that's football. That's why this game is 60 minutes. If it was about the best 40 minutes, then yes, BYU would have lost. But it is about 60 minutes, and it takes all of those minutes to come up with a game and you have to judge BYU based on all 60 minutes and all 60 minutes of BYU all together, put up 43 points, blew the spread out by two touchdowns and handled Houston 10 tackles for loss, three sacks. They, they got whatever they wanted offensively. This was a convincing win. When you look at it that way, if you get caught up on the plays, that where if you get caught up on the negative of the, you know, the dog days, right. When it's the second and third quarter and it's a grind, you lost the energy of the brand new, you know, the brand new game that just kicked off and you don't quite have the energy of the fourth quarter. Yes. You wish that you could push through and win all four quarters, but you can't focus on, well, BYU lost the second and the third because it doesn't matter. It's a 60 minute game. I know that seems simple. I know that sounds dumb, but I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about how, you know, it's from those fans that they want to, I think some fans want to, I think it's, they're protecting themselves a little bit. They don't want to buy into the hype. So they look at everything that's wrong to try to convince themselves that I shouldn't be all in on this hype. And then you don't get you know hurt when, when the hype doesn't come to fruition, which is great. But what I think needs to happen is that we, we, I just, it's the wrong way to look at it. You know, if you don't want to buy into the hype, fine. But this was a football game that BYU played really, really well on the road against a team that had more athleticism and more raw talent than them by far. And a game where BYU was injured. They were, I mean, they were, they were brutally injured. They had lost 
players everywhere, and they ended up winning by 17 points. And like, that's, and that's a big deal. Their play call things are like no game is ever going to be perfect, right? Unless you're that Georgia Tech Cumberland 222 to zero game, right? Like no game's going to be perfect, and there are things that should be changed and need to be improved on. But the coaches know that, and they made changes during the game on both sides of the ball of what they tried to do and what they went to. But and it was a good game. Like we played well in the end when the chips all fell. We played well and covered by two touchdowns. That that's huge. Team. That's a good thing. So who are your who is your non-Zach Wilson offensive player of the game? Uh, I'm going to say non-Zach Wilson and non-Zach Mill. Yeah. Because those two are obvious. Um, I really liked what Isaac Rex brought to BYU tonight. I think he finished with just a couple of catches uh, pulling up his line. Two catches for 55 yards. Uh, but what I, what I really liked from Isaac is that he was a threat on every play. He was working to get open on every play. And he, he was there. I mean, but you know, Zach was dialed in and Dax was also there and downfield. So I get why Rex wasn't targeted a ton, but in a game where Neil Palu had his struggles um, and Gunner went out early, BYU needed somebody else who was consistently open. And that was Isaac Rex to me. I thought he played really, really well. I am going to go with, I'm going to go with Tyler Algier. Um, not because he didn't run the ball great. He only averaged two and a half yards of carry there, though he did have the touchdown. I mean, he was getting stuffed the backfield, but just what he does out of the backfield, giving that dump and what he does in the screen game, especially and the amount of work that he has put in, like his speed. I don't know if we've seen anyone who's weighs 220 pounds that has taken a leap forward like that in terms of quickness and agility and speed in an off season. Like he put in a ton of work this year and he's getting rewarded with playing time and he's getting rewarded with, you know, results on the field. And so I would say not to, not to copy Isaac Rex and what he's done. Cause I think he's coming into his own, but Tyler Algier has definitely earned everything he's getting. Uh, what about defensively? That's uh, it's, it's I'm gonna uh, go first. Cause you okay, want to first on offense. First. Yeah, that's fair. Zach Daw is the defensive player. It's, he finished the game. He led the team with eight tackles. He had three tackles for loss and a sack. Um, and according to PFF, he's the highest grade defensive player on the team this season. And he continued to do that. And he, like he has taken similarly to Algeria, like he's taken a huge step forward this year and solidified himself as, I mean, Tonga is big and is a run stuffer and he takes up a lot of double teams, but Zach Daw in terms of completeness with a pass rush and against the run, Zach Daw is probably the most complete offensive lineman on the team right now. He's not the best pro prospect. He's not as good of an athlete as Kyrus Tonga is, but in terms of what his production on the field and what he's doing, he's the best defensive lineman on the team right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I will go, I will go with Max Tooley on defense because of what he did. The guy was playing safety not that long ago. And he lined up as an outside linebacker that, you know, act, he played coverage. He acted as a, a stand-up rush hand. He even played with his hand in the dirt. And early in that first quarter, when, after, after Houston's opening drive where they just, you know, walked right down the field like it was nothing, they brought uh, Thule in on the second drive. And he, just his presence alone, as all of a sudden he was a rush end, I think really threw Houston off. And I don't know what would have happened in that first quarter if 
Houston would have been able to maintain the momentum that they had in that first drive. But I, I give Tooley a ton of credit for his ability to come in, play multiple positions, be valuable to the team in more than one way, work his way onto the field, his playing time. I haven't been, I am yawning because it's after midnight. I haven't been happy with his playing time. You can only imagine how frustrating he has or frustrated he has been. Uh, but for him to come in ready to play with his mind right and to to play with that kind of versatility uh, and, and have that kind of impact, he's my MVP for sure. I agree with Also, that. because you took Zach Daw, so that made my choice easy. That's why I had to go first. You got to go first for offense. We'll trade for next week. But it was a great win, a very convincing win with – in terms of perseverance and not just showing up and demolishing them and rallying around things. So there are a lot of very promising things. Great night. We get to watch a full day of football tomorrow. We will be back on Wednesday recording and previewing Texas state for next Saturday. Correct. And it is, we have to, we're, we're to the point in the schedule. BYU has passed their first test. I feel, I feel comfortable saying we're really talking about don't say it boise state no i'm not gonna say undefeated because boys never won they've never beat boise on the blue right but But that's it's doable this year i think it's very doable and we this is it's gonna happen you've got two games against texas state who's and against western kentucky who's just above and then you got boise state and then North Alabama, who's the worst of them all. So can't we can't get caught by Western Kentucky looking ahead to Boise. But we'll be back on Wednesday. And until then, give them hell, Jeff. Give them hell.